Oh, I also want to say in closing for the fact that I'm a sex positive movement member. I'm a feminist. I also want to say that I'm health conscious and hygienic and my partner's all these things too. Charge of it. I look in, I look forward to starring and directing the Todd book as my entity and, and other people's entities and you know supporting directing and when Pornographer comes to my company's projects and the projects of the others. So that's what I greatly Also, want to say this. I think they should show Conalindus as equal as they show Galatia and Paul. When it comes to my sex life, as long as there's no genital crushing, no one being burnt up, no human waste, and I'm down for anything and everything sexually speaking. Shannon Ashley, October 23rd, 2018. What we mean when we say good in quotations or bad in quotations sex. How do we define something so damn subjective? Many of us grew up hearing about quote unquote mind blowing sex before we even knew what sex was. For my whole life, women's magazines at the supermarket have been littered with hot headlines also aimed at women giving their men, quote unquote, the best sex of their lives. Talk about an already mysterious subject becoming even more hazy. These magazines tell us that we can drive a partner crazy with our knowledge and prowess of all the right moves, as if there are some really big secrets to satisfying sex. A new, quote unquote, unheard of sex tip gets released with every issue. Don't tell them we told you. It will be in capital letters, our secret, exclamation point. Sex sells. So we read articles about how to have better sex, just like we're looking for a few good productivity hacks. For those of us who still have sex anyway, those of us who aren't having sex have probably replaced the whole damn thing with Netflix and productivity porn, but I digress. All in all, our culture does a piss poor job at speaking honestly about sex. When we talk about sex, we often use key to see jargon and thinly veiled innuendo. We giggle and blush. We struggle to educate our kids about sex too. Sadly, that means we do an even worse job at defining good or bad sex. 
among our closest friends, we might talk more openly about good sex, we might talk about bad sex. The uninitiated among us may be horrified to find out that it's even possible to be bad in bed in all the other sexual settings. What does any of that even mean? Far too many people think good sex is what they seen in the movies, or of course, porn, which means they're which means there's plenty we need to unlearn right off the bat. It's all relative. There's nothing wrong with using Google or reading Cosmo mags to learn more about different sexual tips and techniques or to find out what other people have to say about good sex. But don't kid yourself. Even the quote-unquote greatest techniques can filter out in a flash because good sex varies heavily from person to person. That means you can bring your aching do absolutely everything quote-unquote right, yet still wind up having bad sex. Sorry, Casanova. Like they say, it takes two to tango. If one partner isn't really feeling it, then the whole team may suffer, or maybe not. One person can still think a sexual encounter was amazing while the other disagrees. It's awkward but hardly unheard of. This is especially common when, when a man takes whatever he needs and, just, and just before drifting off to sleep acts, was it good for you? It's further worth noting that there's a gender difference in the way men and women define bad sex. When men typically talk about bad sex, they're talking about a cringe-worthy experience. Maybe they felt it was quote-unquote boring or quote-unquote weird. It's different for women. For us, bad sex more likely means feeling pressured or coerced, even leaving the encounter in pain or in tears. The fact of the matter is that everyone defines good and bad sex differently. That's partly what makes it so silly to assume we can read an article and suddenly know all the secrets to grab your partner wild in the sack. It all depends upon what your partner likes, what you like too. So what can we say about good and bad sex across the board? Good sex is consent. You'll be hard pressed to find an encounter of good sex without it being consensual. Even in the realm of BDSM, consent and boundaries matter. And no, I don't need that both were adults and therefore consent was implied, clear consent is the foundation for any positive sexual encounter. It's about as basic as we can get. Enthusiasm. Sure, you can have clear consent without enthusiasm. But let's face it, one of the biggest, best parts about good sex is being wanted. A partner who's willing to have sex but not excited is going to hold back, be disengaged, and most likely will not be committed to the task at hand. An enthusiastic partner is sexy. When we're both enthusiastic, we're more likely to work out disagreements and ensure that all parties are completely satisfied. Connection. I think most people agree that connection contributes to good sex. You can have all the attraction in the world during the activity, yet if it feels like your partner's mind is elsewhere, he'll put a real damper on the whole sexual experience. Both people will frequently describe connection during sex itself as a huge turn-on, and I wholeheartedly concur. Compatibility. This one's woefully underrated if you ask me. I think purity culture is often to blame. My religious upbringing taught me that there's no such thing as sexual compatibility. It's ridiculous because all of us have different turn-ons, kinks, and fetishes. Different strokes for different folks, right? Some sexual mindsets and physicalities fit together better than others. It's only natural that compatibility goes a long way toward having good sex. Communication. If we each want to have good sex, we've got to be able to talk about sex. It's staggering how many people feel like they can't talk about what just happened with the naked person in their bed and all the other sexual settings. 
none of us are mind readers. We have a responsibility to ourselves and our partners to communicate our reasonable desires and our reasonable want needs in the bedroom and all the other sexual settings. And hopefully ask our partner what they need as well. But good sex isn't, it's not gymnastics. Some of us believe we can't be a good sexual partner if we can't bend and contort our bodies into pretzel-like shapes. The great news is that good sex doesn't mean you need to perform acrobatic or gymnastic feats. You can find a sexual position that's both comfortable and satisfying. It simply takes a little trial, error, and patience. Speaking of performance, that's not even that's not even conducive to good sex. Go for expression over performance. Perfect bodies. When I was in grade school, I read a quote by someone very Hollywood like Pamela Anderson. She talked about how it was shocking to discover is what is wasn't enough to be pretty. She said women were also expected to look good, quote unquote, down there. In my experience, really good sex doesn't care how thin or curvy you are or whether you whack, shave, or go natural. We all have something we dislike about our bodies, but we shouldn't let our insecurities get in the way of good sex. Good sex happens with penises, vaginas, and labias, labias of every color, shape, and size. Furry or not, the same goes for the rest of the body. The same goes for the rest of the body. Simultaneous orgasms. The demands for simultaneous orgasms result in plenty of disappointed people, not to mention fake orgasms. Look, orgasms are awesome. Let's enjoy them as they come naturally. No one should feel pressure to speed up, slow down, or pull an orgasm like a rabbit out of their hat. Mind reading. Any kind of romantic or sexual relationship is tempted to think it's supposed to be some damn kismet that neither of you speaks a word, yet you have incredible sex. Okay, so never say never. But please don't make this your expectation or goal. You're not a mind reader, neither is your partner. Don't put such pressure on each other to know what the other wants if you're not even willing to talk about it. Repressed. It's not like anyone really believes that repression leads to better sex. It's more how people, especially men, objectify quote-unquote virginity, schoolgirls, or any other idea of sexual quote-unquote innocence. Some people have this idea that being with a repressed partner will let you tap into all that untapped energy Nah, repression doesn't necessarily go away when you have sex. Learning and unlearning after being sexually repressed is what cuts through the repression leads to better and eventually good sex. Good sex is in the eyes of the beholder and the beheld. Just like we cannot come in, just look, just like we cannot come to a consensus of the best dessert, there's no single definition of good or even bad sex. The best we can do is talk about the basic principles which tend to apply to each scenario. And these principles merely scratch the surface, meaning this is just a starting place. I would put respect under the category of consent. I'd even say that things like freedom from judgment, ability to relax, are natural byproducts of consent, enthusiasm, connection, compatibility, and communication. Still, this is something we should all be talking about more often. Real sex, sexual compatibility, what makes sex good, what makes it bad, and how we can keep consent a part of the conversation. We can't make sex good, not to mention less weird, taboo, or repressed, until we make it normal. Okay, here's where I comment, and you already know what I'm going to say. My partners and myself we have good sex because it involves 
consent, enthusiastic consent, enthusiasm, fireworks enthusiasm, I'll add, connection, compatibility, I also add chemistry and communication. Now, when it comes to our good sets, we are not about, you gotta have a perfect body because our bodies are perfect to each other. We are each other's standards of beauty. All my partners are because I have countless standards of beauty and none of them are tainted by the culture and simultaneous orgasms that's not our goal i mean that happens when it happens at times but that's not something we focus on if it does happen we're thankful for that but there's no pressure to speed up so that pull orgasm pull an orgasm like a wrap out of our hats but if it happens we're thankful if not we're just pleasured by the temperaments and personalities of one another okay and mind reading no we don't do mind reading i mean we have give each other vibes and we know what to do or what not to do what to say what not to say um so mind reading and it's nothing we don't do but we do give each other like force and energy and facial expressions and the way we talk to each other and it's like after a while we pretty much know how to have sex with each other not and how not to have sex with each other so for the most part there's no minding but there's a there's a little bit a little bit based upon the magnetism we give one another so i must admit that and no there's no repression no suppression at all no censorship at all when it comes to my partners and myself now gymnastics we don't aim for gymnastics. Does it happen at times? It does. Do we do acrobatic gymnastic feats? It does. It's not something we do all the time, but there are moments when, hey, we are Olympians, quite athletic if you ask us. And we are expressional performance people. But don't get me wrong, we have a stellar performance because we have stellar expression, we put expression first. So no, our good sex is not focused on gymnastics, perfect bodies, sometimes orgasms, mind reading, and repressed. But we, but we do have perfect bodies to each other. We do gymnastics here and there. Simultaneous orgasms happen here and there. No fake orgasms, real orgasms. What we do, mind reading for the most part, no. But the way we look at each other or lip sync and mouth things off to each other um or how we touch each other we pretty much know how to be rabbits and other times to be slow and steady and other times middle and between sometimes we're porn stars sometimes we're romantic, sometimes we're intimate, sometimes we're sensual, sometimes we're kinky, sometimes we have sex, sometimes we have sex, um, but not, not bad pain, okay? Not bad, not crime, okay? And sometimes we're shapeshifters, sometimes we're sexual, sometimes we're interpersonal. We just 
it's a beautiful fluctuation erotically for us. Um, so, yes, my partner's not aware of real sex. When I say my partner's talking about my future porn career, I'm talking about my porn career as if it's already happening because I speak beauty into existence. Um, and this also applies to my off-screen partner. So, I could never sleep with anyone that is unwilling to get tested for STIs, STDs. I could never sleep with anyone that thinks badly about birth control and condoms and just safe sex and safer sex and safer sexual practice in general. Uh, that's just where I stand. Um, now, let me go on and talk about polyamory. MindBodyGreen.com, a beginner's guide to polyamory. How it works, how to know if it's for you. MPG contributed by Stephanie Barnes, expert review by Rachel Wright, LMFT. September 29, 2021. Growing up, most of us weren't exposed to polyamory, polyamorous relationships. That's because monogamy is the most common approach to love and relationship, and it's ingrained into the very fabric of society. Maybe your parents have been married for decades, or maybe all the other relationships you witness only involve two people. While monogamy might seem like the only way to go, in reality, there are so many other ways to approach love. We all have the right to choose, and more and more people are choosing to pursue polyamorous means. What is polyamory? Polyamory is a form of consensual or ethical non-monogamy where people may have romantic relationships with multiple people at the same time, says sex and relationship coach Azara Menez. Everyone involved in the polyamorous relationship has consented, has consented to the relationship dynamic, she adds. The word polyamory can be broken down into two parts. Poly, which has Greek origins and translates to quote unquote, many or more than one, and amor, which is Latin and, and means love. Together, the word refers to having many loves, even though the word itself hasn't been around for that long. Polyamory has been in practice since the beginning of time, according to Menez. Of course, there are many ways people can structure what their relationships look like. So there can be many types and structures of polyamory, she tells MBG. Polyamory versus polygamy. While the words sound similar, polyamory and polygamy aren't the same thing. In fact, they're very different according to Camilla Dallanova, a counselor who works with the polyamorous community. Like monogamy, Dallanova explains, polygamy has to do with marriage, being married to many people rather than one, mono. But historically, most polygamous cultures have only allowed for one man marrying many women. Women have rarely had freedom to marry several men or to have relationships with anyone other than their husband, which I think is fucked up as bullshit, goddammit. Polygamy tends to operate as an oppressive double standard, often for the purpose of producing many children, she says. Polyamory, on the other hand, may involve any number of people in a mix of genders, each of whom may or may not be married to anyone. How does polyamory work? There's no one-size-fits-all approach to any relationship, and that also applies to polyamorous ones. Everyone does polyamory a little differently. There are no rules set in stone, but the people involved in any given relationship create their own boundaries and agreements. The key is to make sure you are honoring whatever boundaries and agreements were made and openly communicating, openly communicating your desires if they 
evolved beyond the original terms. There are a few ways polyamory might look. One, opening an existing relationship. Sometimes a couple will open up their relationship, Galanova says, which might mean one or both of them begin to date other people with each other's mutual consent. It could also mean sometimes a third person dates both of the partners forming a three-person relationship, also known as a thruple. Alternatively, two couples might choose to become romantically or sexually involved with each other. Two, the hierarchical approach. Within a polyamorous relationship, some may choose to prioritize one partner above others, making that person their quote-unquote primary partner. There's also the option that multiple primary partners will leave the space for additional relationships that could blossom to primary level, or those who prefer the hierarchical approach might opt to stick with one primary relationship. In this setup, the other partners are considered secondary partners and often must accept pre-existing rules and limits on times defined by the primary relationship members. While the words primary and secondary have been used for a long time to indicate more hierarchical relationships, many people now find this quote-unquote oppressive. Delanova says some people instead are additionally use the term nesting partners to refer to partners that share a home or living space. Three, the non-hierarchical approach. A polyamorous relationship can also exist without placing one partner or relationship above others, which is sometimes referred to as relationship anarchy. You don't have to work, you don't have to have any primary partners. You can instead choose to have multiple relationships without ranking them. Terms like nesting partners can still be used to simply indicate partners that you live with without implying hierarchy. Four, solo poly polyamory. Some people practice solo polyamory where they have several partners but don't live with any of them. You might say there are as many ways to practice polyamory as there are people in such relationships. The only common thread is that all people involved need to know about one another and be willing to communicate, Eleanor explains. Polyamory terms to know. Ethical non-monogamy is the umbrella term for consensual relationships where people agree to have more than one romantic or intimate relationship at a time. This means that whoever is involved in this relationship is in the know and agrees to the relationship dynamics. Metamor, this is your partner's partner. Metamors may or may not interact with each other depending on the structure of the relationship. Polycule, polycule is the group of all the people who are somehow connected to the romantic relationships they are in. This doesn't mean that they all have to be dating each other. Polysaturated, a term for when a person is polyamorous but not currently open to new partners or relationships. Compersion, the word compersion describes the feeling of being happy, turned on, or excited about the idea of your partner being happy romantically or sexually with another person. Triads and quads, relationships that involve three people or four people. The triad can also refer to as a throuple, which means each person is actively dating the other two people in the relationship. A quad could consist of two couples. V, letter, letter V or V, V, E, E. A, V relationship occurs when two people are both dating a third person, but they're not dating each other. The third person is often referred to as the quote-unquote hinge. Nesting partner, partner you live with, they may or may not also be considered a primary partner, meaning that you prioritize them above other relationships. Facts, is polyamory illegal? No, polyamory isn't illegal, but there are limitations to these meanings. According to Dalanova, there aren't any laws preventing consenting there aren't any laws preventing consenting adults from having more than one loving relationship at a time. But being married to more than one person is indeed illegal in most of the United States. Sometimes polyamorous people like for marriage freedoms to be extended so that groups of three or four or more could share the rights and benefits conferred by the legal institution of marriage. 
groups of raising children together would especially benefit from this, she explains. There can certainly be high social consequences for polyamorous people, though, ranging from not being recognized as a family by a workplace to having children taken away. So while it's not illegal per se, it still does exist in a kind of social gray area. Wow. Well, I have to stop and comment and say that it's okay. Like if the children are well and all the adults are well in terms of it works out well, you know, for all the parties involved, it works out well, then I think they all should share the rights and benefits conferred by legal institution of marriage. But if it doesn't work out for them, then those rights and benefits just it wouldn't work out. So as long as people are unharmed and genuinely purely enjoying their lives, I don't see why they can't have rights and benefits conferred by legal institution of marriage. But if it's the total opposite of that, then that's not. So that's how I about that. Uh, can poly, you know, that's how the hell I feel, okay? Can polyamory be bad or toxic? Most things can be wonderful for one person, not great for someone else. There's a common misconception that polyamory is naturally toxic, toxic or bad, but that isn't the case. Polyamory can be a beautiful way of relating to others, just like any other relationship style. What can make it and slash any other relationship toxic is what happens inside that relationship between people in it, their actions and behaviors. Like any other relationship structure, polyamory can become toxic when there's quote-unquote dishonesty, unhealthy power dynamics, consistently overstepping boundaries, disregarding others' feelings and agreements, choosing to be in the relationship for the wrong reasons, says the nurses. Toxic polyamory can be avoided by knowing your limits. A good rule of thumb to remember is that while love is limitless, time and energy are not. It's important to know what your limits are in terms of how much you can give to each of your partners, Eleanor says. It's also very important to watch out for one person doing polyamory while not telling their other partners about it. The word polyamory has often been used as a shield for what monogamous culture calls cheating. Remember, if it isn't open and honest, it isn't polyamory. Can, polyam can polyamorous people be in monogamous relationships? Yes, according to Antonia Hall transpersonal psychologist, sex educator, and author of the ultimate guide to a multi-orgasmic life. Human connections are complicated and our needs and desires can change throughout our lifetime. Those people that are truly happy in both polyamorous and obvious relations are called ambiamorous. Ambiamory is not as discussed but might be worth consideration for more people, she explains. Polyamorous relationships require the same cultivation of friendship and intimacy as a monogamous relationship, and the desire to become monogamous can happen. But those who have spent years exploring and enjoying polyamory might find monogamy to be a poor fit over time. How to know if polyamory is right for you? I'm about to make my confession. Polyamory is right for me because I am polyamorous. Yes, I engage in polyamory. Here we go. I'll tell you if it if oh, any of these things fit me or not. Here we go. Let's let's do it numerically. How to know if polyamory is right for you? One, you are willing to be completely honest with yourself and others about your desires and actions. Yes, for me. You have desire. You have a deep desire to spend time exploring different aspects of yourself with different people, each on their own terms. Yes, for me. 
you think you can handle the practical aspects of dating more than one person and are willing to work those out with your partners? Yes, for me. You often have feelings for many people at the same time. Yes, for me. The thought of connecting multiple people on an intimate level at the same time sparks joy and doesn't leave you feeling exhausted. Yes, for me. You often daydream about being in a relationship with more than one person at a time. Yes, for me. You feel confined by the idea of being with only one person. Yes, for me. You feel capable of loving and committing to multiple people at the same time. Yes, for me. You are okay with the idea of your partner having an intimate relationship with other people. Yes, for me. You feel like you could ultimately be your best self in a relationship with multiple people. Yes, for me. You have done the research and spent time trying to fully understand the dynamics of polyamory. Yes, for me. And this episode is proof of that. You feel like you could bring trust, respect, open communication, accountability, love, and honesty to multiple relationships at the same time. Yes, for me. Here we go. At this is easy, okay? How to know if polyamory is not right for you? You are choosing polyamory in the hopes of fixing a broken monogamous relationship. Hell no when it comes to me. The thought of having to consider, spend time with, and commit to multiple people feels exhausting. Hell no to me. Anything outside of my anything outside of monogamy feels quote unquote unnatural to you. Hell no to me. You haven't spent time self-reflecting and understanding your triggers, insecurities, and past trauma relating to love and relationships. Hell no to me. Explaining polyamory to partners. When it comes to sharing your polyamorous lifestyle with partners, it's important to bring it up early, Hall says. And since polyamory can take quite a few forms, you'll need to let this person know what polyamory means to you. Being upfront and honest from the beginning is respectful, can prevent misunderstandings and hurt feelings, and ensures no one is wasting their time and energy to explain. Most people in the polyamorous community are adept at communicating their boundaries, limits, and expectations that should include a brief, thoughtful way to communicate with potential new partners. Explaining your desire for a polyamorous relationship to a current partner you're in a monogamous relationship with can be a little more difficult. Asking this person to move away from the, from the familiarity they know in order to make room for others can be tough, but it's not an impossible task. The biggest rule here, according to Dolanova, is being honest without being brutal. She encourages you to find the words to express your wants, fears, needs, and hopes without hurting your partner's feelings in the process. One of the cardinal rules, don't try to open your relationship when things aren't going well. It will definitely not fix it, and in fact, will undoubtedly make things worse. The time to look at exploring polyamory when you're in a monogamous relationship is when your relationship is healthy, strong, and excited, and you both want to know what it would be like to have even more love in your lives, she adds. But what happens if your partner isn't open to accepting your desire for a polyamorous relationship and they are hurt? Anecdotally speaking, it's really hard to come back from it when one partner expresses a desire to go outside of an obvious relationship and the other person is really hurt by it, though nobody tells me GG. Though not impossible, she says a desire for polyamory doesn't typically fade if it's a sincere desire for relationship style. That's because the desire for polyamory isn't necessarily about just wanting more lovers. It's often about wanting the freedom to explore loving relationships with multiple people. 
that said, sometimes people they want polyamorous then what's actually happening is that they're dissatisfied with their current relationship and looking to have their needs met elsewhere. In such cases, opening up this conversation and open dialogue about how to make satisfying changes within your monogamous union, the bottom line, polyamory occurs between individuals who are, who are in consensual, romantic, or sexual relationships with multiple people at the same time. At the end of the day, both polyamory and other forms of E&M and monogamy can birth beautiful, healthy, and enriching relationships for everyone involved. It all comes down to personal desires and preferences. Open communication and honesty are absolute cornerstones for any healthy relationship, but even more so when it comes to the vulnerability and sharing that polyamory requires. You don't want to be the person who ends up breaking multiple hearts because you decided to enter a new relationship with someone who are communicating in your desire for polyamory to a long-term monogamous partner. Recommended reading, The Ethical Slut by Dossie Easton and Janet Hardy, Policy Secure by Jessica Fern, The Smart Girl's Guide to Polyamory by D. Decker Wilson, Open Deeply, Open Deep, Open, Open Deeply by Kate Laurie, More Than Two by Franklin Boo, Boots and E. Rickhart, Unfuck Your Polyamory by Dr. Liz Powell and Kevin Patterson. So, here's what I'm going to say about myself. Yes, I do engage in ethical non-monogamy. You already know that part, but I'm so excited that I had to say it once again. And then, I'm going to make this quick and easy, you know, for y'all to understand. Quick and easy for y'all to understand. Yes, I engage in polyamorous, you already know, having multiple long-term lovers and partners. That's me. I do open relationships. I do casual relationships because I'm a casual dater having casual sex. I do open dating. Like, yes, I have my multiples and my variety. Uh, another thing is that I love engaging in my plural relationships. It's, it's awesome. You know, I am open to swinging the sexual practice. That's another form of Phenomenology that I truly engage in. And let me be honest about something. I'm cheating? Hell no, that doesn't exist when it comes to myself and my partners. There's no cheating. Um, 
it may be monopolish on my other partners' part, which I'm okay with. Um, they may engage in poly fidelity with me, even though I make it clear that I wouldn't return poly fidelity. But they say I want to be faithful to you, but you can't whoever you want. Okay, I'm okay with that. Um, like me and I would never get married, so that's out of the question for me. I'm just telling the truth. I'm not a cheater. And I couldn't get with someone that would just cheat, try to have me as somebody they could cheat with because I'm just not a homeless. I'm really not. Um, And then, okay, here are reasons for my being in an open, in open, in my open relationships. Okay, here we go. My reasons for entering and staying in open relationships for myself is that I am being non-monogamous by nature. I believe I was born that Um. One partner realizes that they're unable to fulfill the other needs. That's the other reason. Bearing sex drive between partners. Yeah, that's another reason. One or both partners desiring more freedom, companionship, intellectual variety, variety of sexual partners, getting ahead career-wise, or getting ahead career-wise and maintaining relationships. That's that's another reason. Um, Being able to meet other couples, individuals with a similar outlook, listening to participants can connect with on an intellectual emotional level. That's another reason. Um, let's see. Let me get back to filling the other needs. Like, basically, one partner can't fill a person's needs um, because we have limitations. So, I have other issues where those needs can be met responsibly and ethically. Uh, that's what I wanted to clarify that part. Uh, so, people want to be like, what? You just ungrateful? No, no, I'm not. Um. Distance, yes, because I'm, 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 I'm going to be a very busy person in the future, so distance, when partners live in separate parts of the world, for a partner all the time, yes, that's another reason for me, um, sex may be more pleasing, and the participants may engage in more frequently than those in the average couple, yeah, that's definitely me, that's definitely me, um, I gotta be honest, there's no jealousy, no um, possessiveness or attachment. When I say attachment, like no attachment or possessiveness, I'm talking about the type that could land you on the TV show called Snap and the network called The ID Channel. It's not like that. We have healthy attachment and 
I must say in terms of the possessiveness, there's no sense of I own you or anything like that. No. What we do possess is genuine, pure uh, love and genuine, pure lust for each other. But the, I just, you know, because you're a wonderful person, I want to jump your bones. That's basically what love and love means. Um, and so I just wanted to um, really say that liking another person, not wanting to end the old relationship, yeah, that's me because I'm like, I like all y'all. I like to keep what we have. You're, you're, you're fantastic. You're fantastic. You're fantastic. You're fantastic. You're fantastic. It's like, okay, you get a call. 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 And I don't compare porn partners with each other. I don't compare off-screen partners with each other either. I don't do that. Because they're all equally outstanding. And again, they're all my standards. That's their count. So I don't count them. I just I focus on I have people of inner beauty who catch my eye. That's what I have with my off-screen, on-screen partnerships. Yes. Um, oh, and the last reason, the enjoyment of new relationship energy, the state of high emotional sexual reference receptivity and excitement experience in the formation of a new physical relationship. So that's a, those are all the reasons why I am in an open relationship. Those are, those are the reasons why I'm in an open relationship. And I have to admit, I do menage a trois. Uh, menage a trois in French is a domestic arrangement with three people sharing romantic or sexual relations with one another. Um, I'm open to that. Uh, occasionally, like, you know, staying with more than one love from time to time. I'd like a sleepover menage a trois. That type of one because I don't want to live the night of day. But from time to time, they stay over. And that's basically living me for occasional here and there. So, sleepover menage a trois. Now, And then I just want to say, um, yes, we protect each other from sexually transmitted infections and sexually transmitted diseases because we are safe sex-minded people. And um, of course we have boundaries, absolutely. For example, the sex, what, you know, where the sex relation, relations take place. Um, we talk about what works for us, what doesn't in that department, we honor the boundaries. What types of physical limits, you know, kissing, dating, sexual activities, 
Um, of course, we figure out the boundaries on that one. Honor them. No last relationship taking place in one example, playroom, more than one example, bedroom, premises, tell you know. We, we, we honor those boundaries. I want to give you examples and you know what I'm talking about. Who? Geographically and to persons such, in the, such as in the community, friends, family, etc. Could be a additional partner. Yeah, yeah. I, we have sex with positive people only. Toxic people, evil people. Fuck that. That's how we motherfucking feel. Also, I gotta say um, we have adequate time management, right? That means that we we successfully negotiate the time spent among all partners in case of me and them, as you know, because it's important. Um, We don't eat up all our time, but we spend the right amount of time because every partner has different lives that we live, including me. So there's an overabundance of love, lust, energy, and emotion with each other. It's very common. And um, successful open relationships, that's my reality. One of the most significant factors that aids a relationship is being successful is that it's about making the relationship fit the needs of all parties involved. I do that. No two open relationships will be the same. The relationship will change due to this current circumstance at each specific moment. That's my truth. The style of the open relationship will mirror the part the style of the open relationship will mirror the parties um, involved values, goals, desires, needs, and philosophies. I agree. That's what I do. The most successful relationships have been those that take longer to establish. By taking the time to develop a clear idea of what both parties want out of the openness of the relationship, it allows the parties involved to self-reflect, process their emotions, deal with possible conflicts, and those transitioning from monogamy to non-monogamy find ways to cope with the change. Um, wow. My partners and I, we do all these things quite well. Negotiate the details of the Negotiating the details of the open relationship is important throughout the communication process. Topics that are commonly found in negotiations between couples include honesty, the level of maintenance, trust, boundaries, and time management. Other tools that couples utilize to negotiate. Oh, wow. Again, those things I just read to describe us efficiently. When I say us, myself, my partner, when I say partners, I mean the porn ones and the non porn Anyway, other tools that couples utilize in the negotiation process include allowing partners to detail the relationship, prior permission, interaction between partners. This helps to reassure each partner in the relationship that their opinion that their opinion is important and matters. However, all the ability to detail could be a useful useful tool in negotiation. A successful negotiation of relationships is to occur without it. Some reject veto power because they believe it limits their thoughts from experiencing a new relationship and limits their freedom. But that's me. Those are all me and my partners quite uh, outstanding. So there you have it, folks. Oh, I engage in ethical promise to you. Upset on that. So let me see here. Hmm. 
Poly, what type of polyamory could I do? Um, what am I open to? I'm open to... I'm open to compersion. I'm open to the DRV. I'm open to the triads and quads. I'm open to uh, I'm open to metamorph. I'm open to polycule. Um Liquids, I can't do nesting partner because um, I, I, I'm I one of, I'm a live alone type of person. Polysaturated, no, I'm, I, I'm always open to partner relationships. The only ones I wouldn't do are polysaturated and nesting partner. Plus, I don't, I don't have a primary partner. I don't prioritize love relationships. Um, my open relationships are which is our it's just we all know we all know that I'm I'm an artist. So I don't wanna have primary part because I don't wanna do favoritism. Like y'all are all mesmerizing to me sexually, lovey dovey wise, all around. Because I picked that amazing people. That's who I am. Um, so, you know how I am on that. Okay. Let's talk about this. So, sex on screen, gravity checking, mainstream porn. This is scarletteen.com. Um, I'm on part two, so I'm going backwards, but you know, I'm free flowing. That's how I go. As a part one of the series, I'll be exploring mainstream porn in this piece, the content that is often available for free on tube sites, meaning porn that is not explicitly feminist, queer, or alternative. In this second installment, I look at the landscape of mainstream video porn in America and the ways in which it is, or spoiler alert, isn't accurately representing sexual experiences, sexual experiences from sex positions and orgasms to consent and safer sex, cheating out quotations and sex positions in porn. When people have sex in porn scenes, the goal is to have it look good on camera or to make a profit. A big part of that is cheating out quotations, opening up in quotations. Links to YouTube video, Ask a Porn Star, Real Sex versus Porn Sex, includes explicit language. Have you noticed how in plays or other kinds of theater, actors' backs are almost never to the audience? Say a group of people are on stage standing in a quote-unquote circle discussing an important matter, Rather than actually stand in a circle and block the audience's view of the action, the actors will quote cheat out and form a semicircle so that each performer can be seen and heard. They do something very similar in porn. Performers quote unquote cheat out or quote unquote open up so that the penis, sex toy, or tongue is clearly visible going into the vagina, anus, or mouth. This is not the most comfortable and is definitely not typically the most pleasurable way for most people to have sex. There are also times when a sex position or act beyond just being not super pleasurable is explicitly painful for a performer 
and not in the context of the BDSM scene where pain is intended to be experienced pleasurably. For example, even while a performer is acting out pleasure, their penis may be painfully bumping to their scene's parts of teeth, or their cervix may be being repeatedly painfully hit by their scene partner's penis. Pain might also come from hitting a very large penis or multiple penises into the forms of vagina or anus. Porn, like the rest of heteronormative and patriarchal culture, loves to focus on intercourse, while there are plenty of other parts of sex and sexual activities like kissing, dry humping, and oral sex. Intercourse is true that it's most important in both straight and gay male porn, with most or all other types of sex being reduced to just quote unquote foreplay. The intercourse and fellatio that we see in porn are often aggressive and intense, involving fast thrusting and deep building, putting a penis so far into the mouth that it goes into the throat. There are also certain activities that are used in porn disproportionately misrepresenting the sex people have outside of porn. In straight porn, you will usually see more fellatio than cunnilingus, for example. In gay male porn, you will often see more of the top receiving oral sex than the bottom. And in woman-woman porn, you may see more scissoring than queer women are actually doing in their personal lives. In some quarantines, there's even a checklist of acts that need to be filmed before the day shoot is done. The majority of mainstream porn content caters to the purchasing preferences of cis men. This is a primary factor influencing what is and isn't shown in porn. Since cis men are the most frequent consumers, what they're willing to pay for is what porn provides. A perfect example of this is that on porn hubs where there are different settings for straight porn, gay male porn, porn kids, and trans men, quote-unquote lesbian porn is still categorized as quote-unquote straight porn. In many ways, this is honest since so much quote-unquote lesbian porn is really woman-woman porn made for a straight male audience, not for lesbians. So the porn checklist is money shot, oral sex, doggy style, DP, ass to mouth, analingus, deep throating, 69, milk, wall-to-wall, sex at home checklist, go with the flow, smiling face. You should know that when people have sex, their motivations are ideally things like pleasure, connection, intimacy, and slash or personal or interpersonal exploration, rather than needing to worry about how they might look to an outside observer. There is so much more to sex than just intercourse. The sex acts that we see prioritized in porn are not necessarily what people enjoy the most in their personal lives. In real life, we have the freedom to be responsive to our and our partners' needs and desires rather than needing to follow a pre-planned script and direction from outsiders. When pain unexpectedly pops up, we can say, ouch, make an adjustment or call it quits on that activity. But mid-workday, when a certain position is supposed to be captured, the farmers often have to tough it out even if and when it, and when it hurts. Quote, unquote, cheating out for the camera removes a level of body closeness and other kinds of touch that often factor in to people's experience of pleasure and connection during their sexual experiences. The big O on camera. If you're basing your understanding of orgasm on porn videos, you're going to have some major misconceptions. First, straight porn videos perpetuate the very false idea that most people evolve with can do orgasms solely from penis and vagina sex without more direct clitoral stimulation. Second, in both straight and woman-woman scenes, cisgender women performers are usually presented as having many orgasms during a single sex session. Third, since porn is about performing for the audience, actors of all genders and sexual orientations perform very loud, dramatic orgasms. Many orgasms in porn are faked. In some scenes, performers are told by directors, come now, 
to the quickness of forming orgasm. The anxiety and urgency that come with that kind of direction are usually the last things that help anybody reach orgasm. When performers are able to experience orgasms while filming, they, they can't be so concerned with how they look and sound on camera or whether they have ejaculated enough and in the right place, but they're not able to relax and enjoy the experience. It's also important to think about whose orgasm is deemed most important in porn. There's a cartoon that I'm reading that says, I'm coming. It's a woman, but she has a bra on and nothing else. Whose orgasm signal that sex should be over? Why does orgasm signal that in the first place? Well, heterosexual sex in Hollywood almost always end with a man and woman magically reaching orgasm at the same time. Heterosexual scenes in porn almost always end with the man reaching orgasm, often with him ejaculating onto the woman's face or body. Prior to that, the woman is often shown as being in near constant ecstasy, despite the fact that in terms of pleasure, anatomy, and other things we know play a big role in sexual satisfaction, the positions and acts are catered to the man's orgasm. Whether the woman performers experiencing or faking multiple orgasms or experiencing, or, or experiencing no orgasm at all is often not clear. In gay male porn, the scene is often centered around the ends with the top's orgasm. Similarly, many scenes end with him ejaculating onto the bottom's body. Boundaries and sex acts. The porn industry generally attracts more sexually adventurous folks than the average person as the porn performers are typically making sexual choices based on their career and finances rather than what gives them sexual pleasure. So they're generally up for doing more kinds of sexual activities or kinds of encounters that your average than your average person on the street. That being said, porn performers are also just like everyone else and have boundaries about what they are comfortable with sexually. Some performers may be comfortable doing something with their partners in their personal lives but not on camera for work. Other performers may be comfortable with doing something on camera for work but not interested in doing it with their partners in their personal lives. I want to step in and say whatever I'm comfortable doing in my personal life is exactly what I'm comfortable with doing on camera for. A recent study showed that among American cis women performers, 13% that have never done a scene where a partner ejaculates on their face, 38%, I'm sorry, I just want to reflect on the further, whatever I'm not comfortable doing with in my personal life, I never do on camera for either. Okay. A recent study showed that among American cis women performers, 13% have never done a scene where a partner ejaculates on their face, 38% have never done an anal sex scene, 61% have never done a double penetration scene, penis or toy in both vagina and anus, 69% have never swallowed their scene partner's semen, 72% have never had their scene partner ejaculate inside their vagina, cream pie, 74% I've never quote unquote squirted in a scene. One interview, a number of women performers shared the acts on their quote unquote no list in working. One trans woman performer highlighted topping. Other performers listed bondage scenes. In relation to similar exercises involving food, blood, and poop. You should note that in healthy sexual situations, partners care about mutual pleasure and treat each other as equals. In one scenario, this might mean that orgasm is not the goal for one or all partners. While in another scenario, orgasm might be the goal for everyone involved, in which case it will usually happen for each person at different times and often different positions. Barring experiences of abuse or assault, we are usually able to enjoy our orgasms rather than worrying about reaching orgasm at the exact right time whether we will produce enough to ejaculate. 
while plenty of people struggle oh, or whether we produce enough ejaculation okay while plenty of people struggle with anxiety and insecurity leading to their orgasms a supportive partner will not guilt us for not orgasming enough at the right time or at all in scarlet in scarlet teams direct services users have wondered if they are not letting out involuntary screams could it still be an orgasm the answer is yes when someone experiences an orgasm, it might be super loud, silent, anywhere in between. Research shows that only about 15% of people's vulvas have had multiple orgasms during sex. Only about one quarter of people's vulvas are able to orgasm from vaginal intercourse alone without more direct clitoral stimulation from the hand or sex toy or other sexual activities. The other three quarters need direct stimulation of the external portions of the clitoris in order to climax. Consent and communication. Consent and communication are only are not only necessities for having sex or even abusive, but are also a key part of having pleasurable and fun experiences. Unfortunately, they're often viewed as unglamorous parts of sex, particularly by porn porn's primary audience, cisgender men. As a result, consent and communication are often completely missing in porn scenes. Aside from short, enthusiastic phrases, there's very little scripting in porn. Actors are more likely to, are more likely to use moans and screams than words. There are also, there are also often highly gendered dominant submissive roles in porn. In straight porn, men usually be the more dominant partners and women the more submissive. In gay male porn, a person giving anal sex usually be the more dominant partner. Someone quote unquote receiving anal sex usually be the more submissive. Meanwhile, woman-woman scenes are often shown as having little to no power play. Sexual acts are portrayed as happening without asking for a consent or any other type of communication or negotiation. Even in fairly quote-unquote vanilla scenes, it's common to see a dominant person moving their partner's body around seemingly making all the sexual choices for them without any communication or consent. In addition, a dominant partner will often spank, choke, and slash or ejaculate on their partner I'll stop any communication or consent. If a submissive partner is someone with a vagina and anus, you might see the dominant sexual partner abruptly switching from vaginal to anal sex again without any communication or consent. There are also many, many scenes portraying plots of sexual abuse or profound power imbalance, like initiating sex while a person is sleeping, having sex with one student, employee, child, or stepchild, or coercing, bribing, or physically forcing someone to have sex. Upon one person initiates sex, there partner or partners is almost always apparently removed. If they aren't immediately removed, they're often quote-unquote con convinced to participate. Of course, being quote-unquote convinced is being coerced, which is not an example of enthusiastic consent, but of rape or other kinds of sexual abuse. Once quote-unquote convinced, they are unrealistically portrayed as going on to have an enthusiastic, pleasurable sexual encounter rather than, rather than the reality experiencing a sexual assault. The one cartridge says that boundaries and limits their activities I enjoy and others I'll pass on and consent is always and consent is always necessary. But even though it isn't shown to us off camera, there's there usually is a lot of consent and communication happening. Behind the scenes, performers have quote unquote no list where they list performers they do not want to work with. Some performers with more established skills have yes lists where they list the only performers they're interested in working with. Performers also have model releases where they specify their boundaries in terms of what they are and not comfortable doing on camera. Ooh, I already have a yes and I haven't even started on it. Best practice is that once a scene is cast, before arriving on set, the performance will review and agree upon every note that part of the shoot 
partners, acts, conversations, etc. Let's be the same partners or writing down Before filming the before filming the game, they'll sometimes be a pre-scene interview where the partners are prepared on camera their understanding of that they shoot. And afterwards an exit interview where they're asked on camera if they were harmed in any way or did anything they didn't want to do. So while we as the audience rarely see active consenting of the sexual communication negotiation, many of these conversations take place offset. All that being said, abuse and assault certainly happen in making a porn, just like they do in every other industry and every other community. When we see performers acting out being pressured or forced to have sex, there's usually actually consent communication happening off camera. But, some, but sometimes performers are pressured or forced to do things they did not agree to beforehand. Even when best practices are employed, much more worker protection is needed than exists currently. How honest are exit interviews given that they are not confidential or porn is the insular community? Given that these are freelance workers, will they be comfortable speaking up if they were harmed, knowing that they might be viewed as quote difficult and not hired again? Some companies do not pay the performers unless the scene is finished as planned, which further incentivizes them to push through even if they feel uncomfortable. What are the proper avenues for reporting assault on a porn set? Will people be believed? Just like in many other industries and in our culture at large, there's a long way to go when it comes to properly protecting people from sexual misconduct and believing and supporting them when it does happen. You should know that in sex between men and women, women can play a dominant role, not just men. In sex between men, the, the person receiving anal sex doesn't need to be the most submissive partner. Women and non-binary people can play with dominance and submission in their sexual lives and interactions too. And in any experience between any kind of partners, there doesn't have to be dominant and submissive roles or, or dynamics at all. Open sexual communication can be difficult or awkward, but with practice it gets easier and it plays a huge role in having healthy, fun, and satisfying experiences. We're not always in the mood. Even partners of similar levels of society will inevitably want different things at times. Maybe one person wants to have sex, another wants to sleep, just cuddle, be alone, or hang out without a lot of touch. The realities of our sexual desires means that consent and communication are extra important. Contrary to the messages that mainstream porn sends, consent is super, super important. Consent is about everyone involved and can all consent is about everyone involved and can always be withdrawn. Nothing makes consent automatic in some situations, for example, being drunk or asleep. Consent simply cannot be given. If someone says no, either with their words or their actions, that always means stop. Also, a lack of no does not equal a yes. Consent needs to be mutual. Consent needs to be mutual, enthusiastic, and ongoing. When we are having sex with safe, supportive partners, meaning partners who are investing our well-being and pleasure, we are able to decide what activities we want to try based on what we feel comfortable with and interested in. It doesn't matter whether an abuser is a teacher, neighbor, parent, or step-parent, coach, or classmate. Sexual abuse and sexual assault are never okay. Some people have sexual fantasies about these situations and enjoy watching these plots and porn. That is okay, but in this area especially, it is imperative to remember the difference between fantasy or role play in real life. By the way, I've always hated the sexual misogyny. Well, I'm not going to eat your pussy up, but you got to suck my dick. So, that is erotic unfairness, and that is bodily, show, bodily chauvinism, which I think are all 
senseless, needless bullshit. Okay. <sighs> Barriers and birth control. As, as with consent communication, there's a lot that happens off camera when it comes to birth control and safe sex practices, which are almost always invisible in porn. Reducing the risk of pregnancy and STIs is a super important component of sex for most people, but unfortunately, they're not glamorous enough for porn. Chisley described suggesting using dental gems on one lesbian set they worked on. The director laughed at me, saying flat out, No, you can't use a dental gem. No one would want to watch that. It's not sexy. Of course, in reality, things like dental gems and condoms are part of lots of people's sexual lives, including my own. And plenty of people experience them as sexy, especially me. <laughs> Part of the movie clinical magic of the porn industry is that these aspects of sex are managed off camera. In woman woman scenes, barriers for safer sex are virtually non-existent. In cisgender straight and woman woman porn, there's a lot of unprotected sex. Comments of the barriers are rarely used. Back in 2012, Los Angeles began requiring porn performers to wear condoms when filming. As a result, over the next four years, there's a 95% drop in porn permit requests. Instead, they filmed elsewhere. Porn production companies knew that their primary audience did not want to see condoms, meaning profit would go way down. Since then, the, the proposition to make condoms mandatory on California, porn sets were defeated. We tend to see lots of unprotected sex on camera. See, this is why I decided to enter into ethical porn to avoid all of those understandable worries and concerns. What we don't see is that off-camera performers in professional straight porn at entry, for example, are required to get full STI testing at least every two weeks through the performing available screening services, PASS. PASS provides this part of the industry with rapid response STI results. As Lori Lee points out, this means that performers, unlike most sexually active adults, learn very quickly that they have contracted STD, would not continue to work, would be treated long before that STD could cause long-term effects. For performers to work, they must have valid test results available on the past database that indicate they do not have any STIs at the moment. In gay male porn, there's more of a mix when it comes to safer sex strategies. The standard used to be the inverse of a straight slash woman woman porn standard. No testing, yes, condoms. Now there's a mix of condom and no condom shoes. When condoms are used, they're generally used for anal sex, but rarely for oral sex. They perform as especially vulnerable to the transmission of gonorrhea, chlamydia, syphilis, and other infections. This part of the industry does not use PASS for the most part because PASS does not permit people to work who are HIV positive. There are currently no reliable numbers for how many gay male performers are HIV positive. Some anecdotal estimates are one third or one half. But even if it is lower than the lowest end of those estimates, using past will exclude a large segment of the industry. I just want to say that HIV happens among more straight people than gay people. So HIV is not a gay person's disease only, contrary to the norm. As a result, when testing is utilized, it is less uniform. Individual performers get tested through their own doctors and bring their results to set. Some people working gay male porn have articulated a strong need for an industry-wide pass-type system that will also work with HIV-positive folks in an effort to help keep all performers safer. When it comes to birth control, performers minimize pregnancy risk and insane with other people. Cisgender women performing in straight porn while condoms are often not a birth control choice 
Nahida Rice options such as the UID, IUD, the shot, the pack, the pill, or other. Also, only about one fourth of performance has had someone in Jacko's vagina during the shoot, leaving the majority of utilizing withdrawal as an additional birth control method. While withdrawal on its own is not highly effective, using two forms of birth control is a great way to get pretty close to 99.9% protection. You should know that the birth control is usually visible in mainstream porn is a really important element in many people's sex lives. Along with the condoms, there are also a plethora of other birth control options out there, all of which become even more effective when you use more than one method at a time, for example, using condoms and taking birth control pills. Though condoms are often not used in straight porn and are increasingly not being used in gay male porn, there are great options for our personal lives. There are a lot of awesome things about condoms, including not only to they are the only form of birth control that also protects against STIs. Safer sex is not just for straight people and gay men. While sex between people with always does pose a lower risk for STI transmission, the risk is still there as well as risk for other infections like bacterial vaginosis. If you are switching from anal to vaginal intercourse, always use a new condom. Safer sex practices like using bears and getting regularly tested for STIs are crucial for your sexual health, and they do not need to be buzzkits. They can be playful and sexy. It's Heather Corinna writes, being assertive, responsible, educated, and smart about sex is empowering about as sexy as sexy gets. She's right! I agree. In short, remember that porn and other sexual media are a genre of fantasy, and the videos featuring mentioned X rated sites will almost definitely not be representing with you, your body, sexual health, and your sexual experience. Um, so there's nothing, okay, I want to um, say obvious. There's nothing wrong with kissing, dry humping, manual sex, oral sex, intercourse, fellatio, sex, Inflation, being aggressive and intense, involving fast thrusting, deep throat, and putting things apart from our place to the throat. Um, B- BDSM, uh, conolingus, analingus, wall to wall, milk, 69, uh, ass to mouth, DP, dog style, money shot. Um, you know. Double penetration scene, penetrate both the vagina and anus, and swallowing the scene, partner semen, cream pie, part, scene partner, jack of vagina, squirting scene, bonding scene, simulation scene, similar rape scenes, and, um, highlighting topping, one turn home performer. There's nothing wrong with any of those things, okay? I just wanted to say that so people will, will know where I stand on There's nothing wrong with any of those things. There's nothing wrong with multiple orgasms, experiencing orgasm at all. Fake orgasm has always been harsh to me. But experiencing orgasm is not bad. It's not bad at all. Um, if some people want to do more condolingus with glacial, that's fine. Or condolingus is fine as long as that's what people generally want to do and not forced to do, then, you know, let them do it. Um, so, I just want to say that when it comes to uh, that I want to do mainstream porn, but only 
the mainstream aren't companies that specialize in ethical porn. I only want to do porn in ethical porn companies, mainstream porn and ethical porn. They all have to have ethical practices and ethical labor practices, ethical uh, worker practices. They have to value workers' rights, labor rights, the right to health, uh, sexual rights, and sex workers' rights. They all have to do those things. They all have to be law-abiding. They all have to do all things within reason. And they all have to be humane. So that's what I want to say for the last time. And by the way, I can't wait to do porn and feminist porn companies where porn companies because I, I love I'm for the queer porn movement and alternative porn companies as well. Okay. Um, I have safe sex on camera, off camera because I still want to encourage people. Um, I want to still be a, a, a good role model even though I'm having my, um, my primal fun, my primal fun of compassion as I call it, so I still want people to be encouraged to uh, understand that there's some people that need to see safe sex on video because you can tell them about it in a book or in therapy or just anyway and you feel like I need a visual so I can get an idea of how to do it appropriately for myself so plus you have a lot of sexual scars and you know sexual wounds I just want to help those people by showing like you don't have to quit porn just watch me I'll give you um, integrity porn I absolutely will Part one, making sense of sexual media by Heather Karina, making sense of porn other sexual media. For as long as entertainment media has existed, there's been sexual entertainment and sexual media. By that, I mean media or performance express credit to try to make or keep someone sexually excited to create or amp up feelings of sexual desire. Modern technology has made sexual media and entertainment way more widespread and much easier for everyone to access and that before the sexual media aren't at all amazing. They were discovered in ancient civilization in texts that are thousands of, thousands of years old. The term pornography, which literally means to write of prostitutes, R-I-W-R-I-T-E, to write of prostitutes from the Greek words porne, P-O-R-N-E, and graphian, G-A-G-R-A-P-H-I-N, was coined when Pompeii was first, was first excavated 
and social media was found, porn is truly as old as dirt. People have always created art, literature, and other media from their life experiences and imagination. Sex and sexual fantasy are often big parts of our lives and our individual and collective imagination. What's, what's much more recent and can make a lot of this much more thorny and problematic is for sexual entertainment to be mass media and very, very big business, generating profits in the billions of dollars every year. If you want something interesting to chew on, think about how industries are similar but higher profits are the if you want something interesting to chew on, think about how industries with similar but higher profits are the diet, cosmetics, and wedding industries, all of which also have quite a lot to do with sex and sexuality. Putting ginormous amounts of money to the mix changes everything with this, just like it does with anything else. Because of mass access and the mainstreaming of porn, including cultural shifts where porn being thought of as normal or common rather than as evidence of perversion, porn become one of the most Profitable, profitable industries there is. What's also more, what's also more recent is porn strong influence on culture as a whole, particularly the perceived or expected sexual norms and expectations of the people within that culture. The dictionary definition of pornography is the most commonly recognized form of sexual media. Any material that is used to or intended to arouse sexual desire of people. Although many people use the word quote pornography to refer only to explicit visual material, such as photos, illustrations, and videos. Pornography can also be textual or performed. Pornography may be explicit, but it may also be subtle. Just as all depictions of naked genitals aren't intended to be or usually used for pornography, think of photos of breasts for the purpose of breast cancer study. All pornography doesn't show people having sex with being naked. It may or may not contain explicit sexual language or depict sex acts graphically. What is or isn't pornography for someone or what someone does or doesn't quote unquote use astronaut, it could be anything from a video clip of people doing oral sex or lizard love poetry from romantic comedy to a catalog of kitchen gadgets. Anything, literally anything, can potentially arouse feelings of sexual desire for people. That's just how diverse we and our sexualities are. If it exists, even only in the imagination of someone, if not another another few thousand, even billions someone's can be or has been sexually aroused by. People of all genders, ages, and social status seek out or exposed to sexual media. Some people have the idea that men look at or use porn and women don't, or that all men do and no women do. None of that is true. Though there are some gender divides, most of them are based in economics. Who has the money to spend on it when it costs, when it costs, as it often does, and more often than that's men in cultural roles. Who has the most cultural permission to look at or use it, which is also more often men. People in romantic or sexual relationships, including relationships where they're having fantastic sex, single people are exposed to seek out, make, or quote, quote, use it. They are also both single and shacked up with somebody, people who aren't or don't. Some people use it as a masturbation aid to incite or inspire sexual fantasy. Occasionally, that's me, to be honest. Others use it to experience arousal through fantasy that they want to bring sex partners later. Occasionally, that's me, to be honest. They may or may not share or use the material with their partner. That's just our prerogative, myself and my partners. Hey, some seek it out to explore their own feelings about sexuality. That was me at one point. Um, when young people first seek out sexual media, they are most often just looking out of simple curiosity, which includes trying to find out what's normal or common. 
Pornography is a very unreliable source of information, but most people don't know that to make some sense of what sex is made. I used to do that when I was much younger um, because of the uh, sexual trauma that happened when I was a child. Uh, some people enjoy sexual entertainment that closely resembles and mimics their sexual reality or their actual wants. More, that, that's me. More are usually wanting something that's all fantasy. That's not me. I want more real than fantasy. The media that turns the media that turns someone on may contain depictions of people who look or act like their partners in sex lives or their like their sex lives. More often it won't because sexual entertainment is about fantasy and how it's meaningful whoever the audience is. Fantasy, whether we're talking porn, Harry Potter, or a game of Dungeons and Dragons, is all about getting at least a little bit away from, if not land far, far away from reality. Pornography not very realistic since ever. Rarely in sexual entertainment do you see a couple disagreeing on whether to have sex, plainly discussing what kinds of sexual activities to engage in, negotiating safer sex with birth control, just hanging out and snuggling or grabbing for during or I'm sorry. Real pornography not very realistic since ever. Rarely in sexual entertainment do you see a couple disagreeing on whether to have sex, plainly discussing what kinds of sexual activities to engage in, negotiating safer sex and birth control, or just hanging out and snuggling or gabbing before during or after sex. It's unusual to see porn in which someone isn't seriously groomed or made up, has stubble on their lips or giant zit on their nose, is wearing that rat is wearing that ratty laundry day undies, isn't isn't in the mood, has a bad head cold, or isn't okay with sexual language department users. We're probably never gonna see we're probably never going to hear someone in porn say, please don't call my boba a pussy, okay? I hate that word. And it goes both ways. We're probably never going to hear someone in porn say, please don't call my penis a dick, okay? I hate that word. I mean, I'm just using those examples, that's all. Sexual entertainment is used in very intentionally both fiction and fantasy. Even a video of a real-life couple having sex in their own home with someone's sexy selfies created without a production department or a fancy website is still something that was intentionally created and most often intentionally distributed. It's often based on a given set of sexual ideas or fantasies that are either really narrow, don't represent most people's sexualities, or very subjective, which might represent that one person thinks it will be found to be sexy, but which doesn't represent that everyone finds sexy. The photos of videos of quote natural models that people record people used to have plenty of adjustments in me too. Lighting, editing, and touching such ways that's more about videos we might be watching rather than being watched the thing. We very rarely see actors presenting or not because it's usually all done off screen, was recorded or made part of what we're seeing or reading. Produces pornography like most mass media, portrays pretty unrealistic body types and appearances. The penises and breasts we see in porn are usually much larger than average, and when you see diversity with race or ethnicity, it also often comes with a heavy dose of racism or tokenism. How people in porn style themselves, including their body hair, isn't often very reflective of how people, even those people themselves, look or present themselves. In their daily lives with all screen sex lives. Wait a minute, I gotta read this thing. Majority of material producers pornography like most mass media portrays fit pretty unrealistic body types and appearances. The penises and breasts we see in porn are usually much larger than average, and we see that diversity with race or ethnicity it often comes from a heavy dose of racism and talking. Ooh, we're talking about that. Woo! 
Now, people in porn style themselves, including their body hair, isn't often very reflective of how people, even those people themselves, look and present themselves in their daily lives their off-screen sex lives. It's rare to see actors and pornography who don't reach orgasm, who have orgasms that are quiet or subtle, or who aren't turned on by, or are turned on, turned off by, typical quote-unquote porny stuff. As some people would say, that porno shit. Or porn shit, some people would have it sure not be more. Yet all of these reactions are normal and common in real life sex. People don't realize this or who expect their partners to live up to porn's fictions, ideals, and fantasies aren't for a rude awakening. Even porn stars couldn't often don't want to live up to those expectations in their real lives. To think about and evaluate sexual entertainment media clearly is helped to keep these basics in mind. All sexual media entertainment created as such is an intentional performance, is fantasy of some kind, and usually can't tell or show you how many. To think about and evaluate sexual entertainment media helps to keep these basics in mind. All sexual media entertainment created as such is an intentional performance, is fantasy of some kind, and usually can't tell or show you much about sex in your life. Sexual media or entertainment isn't intended to be education. It's made by the people involved as if anyone, even everyone, could be watching. There's nothing private, vague, or otherwise about it. Has more to do with someone making money than anything else, is usually mostly and often only about profit. Isn't often reflective of most people's sexualities or context. For most people, their doctor only provides professional health care. Their teacher makes assignments, not sexual advances, and they don't go to sleepovers with their friends dressed like lingerie models. It's very heterocentric, including in material or entertainment that includes sexual activity between people of a same or similar gender. Enables or even purposely sexualized bias and marginalization like sexism, racism, classism, fat phobia, and ableism, and vision. It gives messages about sex and sexuality that don't square with physically and emotionally healthy sexual practices and personal dynamics or relationships. Some sexual media contains, presents, or celebrates sexual violence and sexual abuse or presents, or presents sexual violence as consensual sex. It's not made or distributed ethically or humane. It might be made without everyone's explicit informed enthusiastic consent or without human or without humane labor practices and policies in some ways. It's about someone trying to show you their personal real life sexuality is made creatively, thoughtfully, independently, tries to be porn in a way that leaves out a lot of constructive that leaves out a lot of constructive or harmful things like isms and bias, sexualized violence, heterocentricity or gender stereotyping, lack of active consenting and poor labor treatment, and can make people feel supported in their sexuality, sexual lives, and good about themselves. Others do the opposite, and some have no seeming impact. This depends on what's entertaining them, specifically who is watching, otherwise taking part in it, and how they feel about it. The worst of us, sexified. A lot of sexual entertainment media, just like a lot of other media popular culture, unfortunately presents some of the most unhealthy aspects or patterns of our culture as normal or okay and as something sexy. Media designed to turn us on, whether they're meant to be porn or an ad for a car, often present people, especially women, other marginalized people or groups as objects, only sexual rather than a whole person whose sexuality is just a part or as sexual commodities. 
One word for this is sexualization, a term meant to describe when someone or a group of people such as girls or women who are far more sexualized in all kinds of media than boys and men are, has had sexual desires, values, and motives put on them as individuals or as a group, and where they're sexually valuable presumed to be their whole or essentially valuable as people. Plenty of what's out there currently contains the celebrates violence or coercion, presenting those things as normal, hot, and sexy. Some pornographic material contains fantasy, so that's much resistant from one person showing the turn to enthusiastic sex section. Without any discussion whatsoever about consent and that apparent total change in heart. The pictures of the abuses of power or non-consensually inflicted pain, hate speech, or slut shaming have become increasingly common in a lot of sexual media and entertainment. Sometimes the making of pornography itself is an abuse or exploitation, as many other kinds of work, abuse, assault, and harassment happen to people working in pornography. Uh, media distributed as porn, where anyone involved did consent to that, such as revenge porn, or content that was hacked from someone's personal files or abusive and, ex and exploitive, and by design, the invasion of someone's privacy or personal safety is part of what's supposed to get someone off. How should we feel about sexual entertainment? You feel how you feel. People have different opinions about whether it's okay for people to like porn or to dislike it, just as they do about whether it's okay for people to like or dislike organized religion, country music, or bacon. People have very strong opinions about pornography or other sexual media that contain kinds of reasons. For some, as an ethical political issue, for others, a more personal and personal matter. Or both and for others still. It just boils down to what they get turned on by or not. You get to hear, figure out how you feel about those opinions, who they come from, how much they play a part in helping you form your own opinion. The opinion is what matters most to you, and it's going to be based on whether it feels okay, whether whatever the quote it is, however and however you are or aren't interacting with it or having to be part of your life for you. Just like you get to choose how you feel and what you do for other ethical and lifestyle decisions that affect you and others like Eating meat, making certain reproductive choices, getting tabloids, otherwise taking part in gossip, where you get your clothes from. The same goes here. War wants your own wants and do not want to just kind of be know how to have it be a part of your life. If it is in a way that feels healthy and good for you and for everyone else, it's something you'll just need to figure out for yourself. In the unique context of your life relationship as you go, there's always going to be some balancing to like it is with any other kind of media or any other part of your life. There's always going to be some thinking and evaluating to do when it comes to your sexual media choices. If it even seems like it's not good for you, then it's time to make some changes, both by changing the kind of material you're taking in, how much of it or how frequently you use it, or how much of a role it plays in your sexuality or sex life. If your sex life includes other people now are living porn as part of your sexual life or affairs, there's something you want to talk about. That talking might just be a yay by talking about porn you both like and want to explore in your sexual life together, about heart feelings or conflicts like insecurities you might feel about pornography, sexual misunderstandings, pressures or expectations that porn is at the root of or ethical or political differences about sexual media and entertainment as a whole. It says a wide range of both opinion and study of pornography and its impact is available online. This section is just a very light overview that includes what I think are the most important things for someone to know and bear in mind. If you want to dig deeper, just want to see an array of perspectives to try to get a better sense of how you think or feel, open up a search engine. Obviously, it'd be pretty easy to wind up with nothing but actual porn and searching for things about porn. 
the views more academic search terms such as quote pornography studies, data of pornography sexual behavior, unquote, or impact of sexual media, unquote, you'll find your way to the kind of information about pornography and sexual media that you're looking for. So that talking might just be a yay, like talking about porn, you both like, or want exploring sexual life together, or about heart feelings or conflicts, like insecurities you might feel about, uh, pornography, sexual misunderstandings, pressures, pre pressures or expectations that porn is at the root of, or ethical or political differences about sexual media and entertainment as a whole. If we immerse ourselves in anything that celebrates or shows the worst of us rather, <laughs> Then our best selves, whether that's sexist porn or tabloid media, or become some kind of ideal, we aren't very likely to experience the positive impacts of that media. We're soaking anything, including media, full of sexual yuck. It's hard to feel supported in creating and living a sexuality and sexualized that makes us and others feel good about ourselves when we interact in ways that are healthy and positive. The opposite is also true. When we take in a lot of good stuff, or as I like to say, good shit things that present the best of us, that doesn't mean not being sexual. It's easy to feel supported and empowered in a healthy sexuality and sexuality that makes everyone involved feel good, including emotionally. It can help to think about media choices for sexual media or any other kind, like the choices we make with eating. If we eat nothing but what's bad for us, we're going to get sick or feel like crap a lot of the time, or if I want to say, feel like shit a lot of the time. If on the other hand we make most of what if if on the other hand we make most of what we eat foods that support our well-being and health, we're, we're more likely to be healthy, more likely to feel good. It's always a good idea to be mindful about what we make part of our sexual lives and taking questionable choices, including the media we use and purchase. Even when our culture tells us something is a no-brainer, simply being thoughtful, really considering the choice of media, sexual or otherwise. Always make for more ethical consumption, make it more likely we'll seek out media that we feel best about and that feels best in it for our lives, including our sex lives. And only you can decide whether or how you use or take part in pornography as a whole from situation to situation, media to media. Only you can decide that many types of sexual media supportive of your heart, mind, well-being, relationship, sexuality, and what feels like the right thing when it comes to your life and what you do and don't want to be part of your sexual life. As with many other aspects of sexuality, you also get to change your mind or adapt your thinking choices and habits at any time. So, I really enjoy um, discussing these things with you. So, I engaged, I want to be a pornographer, porn performer, and porn director of ethical sexual media and ethical section of things. Um, and I, again, you know, I don't mind the mainstreaming of porn as long as they are um, the removal of destructive and harmful things, um, the necessities of humane labor practices and policies, the porn being made to should be ethically and humanely being made with everyone's explicit informed and enthusiastic consent. And the 
standing up against sexual violence, sexual abuse, uh, sexism, racism, um, classism, fatphobe, ableism. And we, we have to stand against those things. We have to stand against um, messages about sex, sexuality, that don't square physical, emotional health, and sexual practice in the first relationship. We have to get rid of the sexual violence, the isms and bias, heterocentricity, gender stereotyping, lack of active consenting for the treatment. Um, we gotta get rid of those things. Sexual violence, we gotta get rid of too. In the heterocentric material entertainment that includes sexual activity between people segments and the gender, we gotta, we gotta get rid of that. We gotta include everybody and have everybody belong. We gotta get rid of the racism and the tokenism. We have to showcase sexual language that everybody's cool with and just show people being real. I want to see those facts being real. I don't ask the facts, I just want people being real. We have to stand against abuses of power, non-consensually inflicted pain, hate speech, and slut-shaming. Um, we also have to stand against crude-shaming, kink-shaming, and sex-shaming. We have to stand against rape culture. I am for. I am a member of the Me Too movement. I am a member of the Church Two movement. I am a member of the Times Up. Um. I am a member of the Slut Walk movement. I'm gonna bring that back. I'm gonna use my star power to bring it back and do what I need. Um. We have to stand against assault and harassment. We have to stand against revenge porn. We have to stand against exploitation. Um, we have to stand against bad sexify. Yeah. Um, So, you pretty much know who I am, and, um, I have, like I say, I don't have too much sex, I don't have too little sex, I have just the right amount of sex, I have sex moderation, as I always have to say, and there's more intellectual, emotional, social, and spiritual intimacy than sex. Every time with my partners, the majority of the time with people in general, on screen, off screen. Um, I, I love to have a no list too, which I do have that in real life. So when I do porn, it's going to be no different at all. Um, you know, I, I engage in ethical audio, written, and Visual porn. I engage in author. Uh, I engage in ethical audio, written, and visual erotica. Yeah, masturbate. I self pleasure. I just do it appropriately. Not too much. Not too little. Just right. Same thing goes for erotica. Both porn. Um, 
comes to viewing and self pleasure methods to it. And I masturbate to images of real people in my head I see every day that turn me on. Much more than the sexual medias of the teaching. But I do masturbate to a rock star too. Um, another thing is that um, I'll say this in closing. I truly feel I say in closing, I'm pansexual, I'm pangender, I'm queer, I'm binary, I'm polyamorous, I engage in sexual promiscuity, I engage in casual sex, I engage in casual dating, I engage in casual relationships, I engage in open relationships. I live alone. Uh, I'm single by choice. I'm childless by choice. I'm petless by choice. Uh, I'm black. Even though I'm mixed, I go by black. Terms of vibration education. Um, you can call me Antonio Antonio, you can call me Pronouns, it's all good. Uh, <laughs> another thing I want to say about myself is... I, I prefer dark, black-skinned black people. Uh, when it comes to women... PYTs going on over. Males. Chills. BBWs. Um, I like curves. You know. I'm men, I like beefy men. Brawny uh, men. People of all gender identifications, sex characteristics. I just love physically fit, uh, curvy, thickness, and I prefer large. So. You already know what I am, and I'm gonna close this out. I'm still I'm secular, not religious, even though I hope in Jesus and I uh, hope in God um, in terms of the openness of those things because my grandma gave me the concepts of 
you know, she gave Jesus a she painted Jesus from an accurate perspective to me, including God. So I hope those those concepts and realities, you know, that believers that realities are true. And at the same time, I'm irreligious. Um, no religion and love is my religion. My religion is love. Uh, is what I say. I practice second morality, second ethics. You know, I'm a Christ-like person. I practice a universal Christ consciousness, higher consciousness, God consciousness, as well. Um, so I just think that um, I don't live my life in a fast lane. I don't live too fast. I don't have to live fast to die young mentality. I don't engage in any self-destructive behavior. I do not have an addictive personality. I am all things in moderation. That's what I want. I want all the energy. I want us them talking about what we sexually are into, not into an I, I want that imagination on and that's what I want. That's how I want it. Cubs and men, I like when it comes to women. I like, I mean, I like prune genitals when it comes to all the gender identity, sexual orientations, and sex characteristics. It's just prune genitals. You know, women, I just like, you know, it's enough space that I can comfortably penetrate as well as beat out. When it comes to men, I like um, well endowed the testicles and penis. Um, my preference. Everyone else on the gender sex diverse is just enough space to use my mouth as well as my penis. And just room. That's me. Ooh. These preferences are when it comes to my one co-star as well as my off-screen life. Because by real life that I also have my parents. And by the way, I don't mind explicit sexual language using some off-screen and uh, just very respectful especially and just all around otherwise so I'm just so grateful to have had this opportunity with you all hope y'all can just enjoy 2022 next year